Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. Hey everyone, I'm Laura Lavoie and this is Song Cycle the official podcast of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we talk everything song. It's history, it's creation, it's performance, and it's ability to keep us connected through stories. In this episode, I'm talking with the one and only Matt Cahill. This is definitely one of those episodes that after I was done talking with Matt, my heart just felt more full. I felt relaxed. I felt ready to... I don't know, take care of myself. This is a good one to listen to if you are in need of some artistic TLC, because I know I was, and that's what it gave to me. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Song Cycle. We just launched season two, and now we're here with the one and only Matt Cahill. The artist formerly known as Matt Morris. Hello. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I saw that in your email signature and I was like, this is amazing. As I live in Minnesota and like we have a very deep Prince heritage here. Yes. I was, I really appreciated that. People were very confused for a while by my name change. So I thought, why not uh, inform them in a light way? <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I thought that was very unique. So, Matt, I'm just so grateful that you're here spending time with me. Seeing your handsome face is just such a joy and a pleasure. Thanks. It's so great to see you. Oh, jeez. It's been like 10 years or something. Uh, Eight, seven, five. I'll just reduce until hyperbole (laughs) is not happening anymore. (laughs) When was Winter Song Fest? 2017. Okay, so that was the last time I saw you. So four years, mm-hmm. so less than ten, <laughs> but still a while. But the 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 first song fest was twenty thirteen. So that was more almost like, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, eight years. Yeah, that's uh, time flies when you're having fun. It's true, <laughs> and studying singing. Ah, uh, yes. Like I said, <laughs> having fun always. Yeah, exactly. It's always fun. <laughs> so Matt, can you tell the good listeners who are you? Um, what Whoa. do you do? How'd you get into yeah. it? And what's our, well, we actually just talked about our connection, but mostly who yeah. are you? That's a good question. Uh, my name is Matt Cahill. Um, I married a brilliant, wonderful person named Edwin Cahill as a director. And before that, I was <laughs> known as Matt Morris. Um, the former is, artist. <laughs> yeah, the artist formerly known as yeah, there we go. <laughs> Matt Morris. Um, I am a singer, actor, teacher, and Alexander technique teacher. 
really, I just love beautiful stories <laughs> and telling them and working with people on how to tell them in a way that feels authentic and that is moving to the audience and makes the world a better place. And it sounds trite, but that, I mean, that's kind of me in a nutshell. So <laughs> um, figuring out how to better unlock or teach myself to do that. And then kind of along the way, getting passionate about helping others or being a part of their process in any way was really exciting. And then imagining kind of whole ecosystems or companies or training programs um, where that's kind of at the forefront in communicating with the audience as well and the community at large with the art form. So that, I mean, it's, that's how I, I kind of shift all over the place. Cause I also now I started a nonprofit with my husband, Edwin Cahill. It's a, we call it regenerative arts. It's a performing arts company and training company, but with the focus being on this regenerative aspect, we were really inspired. Uh, we live in Maine now, and there's a big movement of regenerative agriculture going on here, um, which I think, harkens back to a very ancient wisdom in a lot of indigenous cultures, but this idea that um, we don't have to destroy everything while we make things, <laughs> which sounds like, I was like, huh, that, that could be applied to, to the performing, I think. <laughs> so um, it's been a really fun exploration and what uh, well, we've had, our, our launch was supposed to be summer of 2020 and we had traveled across the United States and cast this really amazing group of people in our first production and then it got canceled it got canceled again but we had a launch concert in june which was outdoors in our rose garden at this old stone castle that we're renovating here in maine and uh, we hope to make artist residencies here as part of it and being in this beautiful place and we're going to have a launch in new york in the fall and then we're going to have our official big production june of 2022 so that's, All the that's really yeah it's like I'm with elbows and wrists and yeah so i'm really excited about that i keep singing because i feel like my singing informs my teaching i keep teaching because my teaching informs my singing and kind of just following the green lights as uh, my dear mentor and um inspiration peter sellers says you know it's like the doors that sit close are little angels being like you don't want to do that <laughs> although sometimes uh i'm not so ready to hear that and i a bit but then I get over it and pick myself up and <laughs> go through the green light and learn about the wonderful thing that's waiting for me on the other side. I can't even tell you the number of times that I have stubbed my toe trying to knock those doors down. Yeah. Just <laughs> over, like things that you think you want and then you don't realize that there's another beautiful opportunity just sitting right around the corner. One big question throughout my whole life is is this a door that I'm not supposed to go through? Because it's not opening or or do I need to apply myself and be patient and keep working? And like, when do, am I going to know the difference between that <laughs> uh, is a big question. But then also, I think something I, I'm finally getting old enough to understand is that if you really commit to a process, then you can end up in a place that you could never have imagined at the beginning, rather than looking for something at the beginning that you know what you want and you're trying to get there. It's so terrifying, and but it's also liberating and it's also... Beautiful. <laughs> anyway. I feel like that's such a singer thing. I've been talking to my husband about this a lot because we're sort of in that in that place of life where we're like, okay, so like you were saying, are we um, kind of trying to knock down those doors that are just not going to open for us? And should we start looking for opportunities or should we, other opportunities or should we trust the process? And mm -hmm. I feel like that's such a singer thing because I feel like none of us go in 
having an end game in sight, at least for how we will sound vocally, maybe what opera house we want to end up in. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that's such a beautiful way of talking about engaging in the process and not really having an end goal in mind, but trusting that process will get you there somewhere. Yeah. Ultimately better than where you wanted to be before. You're, You're speaking to... A very real life experience I'm in, <laughs> I'm in right now. I feel like most singers eventually get there, but yeah. <laughs> eventually. Again, going back to fingers crossed. Yes. So as we're talking yeah. about, you know, we will definitely get more into process because I know one of the things I really want to talk to you about is like your teaching, both singing wise and in Alexander technique and kind of how that's informed you as a person, but also your students. Since this is Primarily, uh, we are an art song organization. We talk about art song. The first yeah. question I always ask everyone sort of directly is, to you, what is art song? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like the art of art song to me is specifically relating to the flowering of lyric poetry in different cultures and then the subsequent inspiration by people to set their favorite poems to music, to take the recitation into recitals and and specifically then the pairing with instruments that tell the story and are part of the story just as much as the singing and the lyrics. So it's almost like a magic triumvirate. So to me, that's how it's dis- distinguished from song or folk song is it's where like the label art song is and comes from. The flowering of poetry. That's beautiful. <laughs> No, you're right, though, because one of the things I've I've been on sort of this high horse about art song for a while where I'm like, it doesn't have to be poetry. It doesn't have to rhyme. But I think that one of the things that I've been thinking about in terms of just art song in general is that like poetry in kind of its purest sense is perfect words at the perfect time. And they Mm -hmm. sort of meld together in a way and tell a story in a way that we wouldn't necessarily get from just straight prose. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea that it blossoms and that music can sort of be the fertilizer for that blossoming. (laughs) Well, there are songs like for since forever, right? (laughs) And then there's also like people speaking in rhymes probably forever. I mean, look at at least Homer and then I'm sure other cultures that are oral traditions that, and so it's like, what, what is that? term art song when did that arrive and and what do we call that and i don't know some some of these labels are really interesting to examine for a bit and then they're really interesting to just toss out and just be like they're all songs who cares yeah (laughs) well and that's kind of what i came to Mm -hmm. is i actually i had a really lovely conversation with a colleague mm, a week or two ago about this exact thing where it was like if it speaks to you and it tells a story that transforms you or engages you in some way and you're singing it it doesn't matter if it's Bob Dylan or if it's you know Schubert who cares it's Mm -hmm. it's something that that blossoms for you it's always got to blossom I guess (laughs) no I love that and I'm just I'm still very enraptured but by this idea of regenerative arts that you mentioned I actually I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I think it ties in really well with kind of generally what I want to talk to you about today and something that I think a lot of people, whether they actively realized it or not, desperately need is this, especially during COVID, is this time to sort of go back and recognize like maybe that prior to COVID, before we had this time to sort of sit around and think too much, maybe we were (laughs) destroying ourselves as people, as artists, our planet. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, just things like that, small things. Yeah. Um, general destruction, it's fine. <laughs> um, but I, I would love to hear a little bit more about, both about like your organization, your company, but also just kind of how that has developed you as who you are now, because I think a lot of people need to hear about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I don't know. Um, about the company and about the idea of regenerative arts and how it came up. and Yeah, and just like, I don't know, to me it sounds important, and I'm not trying to say sell me on the idea, but can you kind of explain what it is and the idea behind it and um, yeah. kind of the impact you hope for or the message sure. you're trying to, to get across? I come from a family of doctors um, who don't listen to music. <laughs> and I, like at the end of the day, I, I would... um. I would want to like play a song or sing something for my mom or parents. And my, my mom was a pediatrician. She had like babies screaming all day. And she'd be like, you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing like the sound of silence. And I was like, okay, I won't sing that song for you then. <laughs> but if they ever watch this, which I don't think they will, they've been amazing and supportive. And I, I'm super, super blessed. Um, but just, I think there's, um, it's another thing. I think that those green lights in our life, those like, you don't want to do that are often, Maybe this sounds woo-woo, but to me, they're kind of related by to ancestral flow and energy of wishes and dreams and that are being enacted or not enacted. And <clears throat> I think I, I wanted to work in helping people feel better, but I knew I didn't want to do it in the nuts and bolts, at least Western medicine way. And uh, I was always really drawn. Stories just made me feel better a lot. Um, I was like a really sensitive <laughs> kid. And uh, the Not only place all. I got them, yeah, the only place I got them was on like Disney videos. So um, I, I like wore out that tape of bed knobs and broomsticks and threatened to turn my two brothers into nice white rabbits, um, which didn't work. And um, anyway, so then <laughs> so then I, I just I started doing, you know, musicals. And uh, I just thought this something about this is where the direction I need to go, I want to go because I... I was like a perfectionist and I, I got all my straight A's and my brothers went to Yale and they were pre-med. And I was like, I, I know that if I do that, something inside me is going to be really sad and like stuck on this path of thinking that if I get straight A's, that the world, that somehow that's what the goal of life is. <laughs> and um, so I got into Juilliard. It was the only school I got into. And then my parents were like, well, we won't let you go to music school, but if you get into Juilliard, fine, you can go. And I did. So then I went and it was really hard. Uh, I think at first I thought it was going to be this like amazing, finally I get to live every day, like eat dessert all day. And then you learn that like eating dessert all day is a painful experience. <laughs> but I think that pain was really important. Recently, I've been, I, we were listening on a car ride to the coddling of the American mind, which is a really interesting book. And one of the, one of the ideas that they brought up was this idea of systems being anti-fragile. And I really, liked that because he, he was just talking about how like your muscles muscular system is anti-fragile and you might even take that further into certain parts of humans are anti-fragile that if you never let a child experience failure or if you never put someone in an experience where they're having a tough time and have to then they don't have to think this is hard how do I change and do something different to learn and grow and create a different result so I think for me, that was the big beginning uh, going to Juilliard and getting into the arts world and being rejected a million times. And there is no way to get an A. Like you can't study hard enough and convince people to hire you. It's just like, huh, 
And you start learning all these big life lessons, at least for me. And then where I met you at Songfest, I went as a young artist. And <clears throat> it's funny because that, that was part of like one rejection. <laughs> well, actually like several lines of rejection that turned into something beautiful, which is that uh, I graduated from Juilliard and I didn't even know if I was a tenor or a baritone. I didn't have any arias. I was like a hot mess. I took a year to uh, figure out <laughs> life. I waited tables and mannied or nannied or whatever it's called and tutored, you know, all the, all the stuff and uh, did some side stuff and thought about all sorts of different types of school. Then I taught middle school music um, for the next year because my middle school lost their music teacher in the middle of summer and they needed someone to like cover. And that was a huge learning experience of like, oh my God, I was like thrown in like, and it was a private school. So they were like, just don't, don't kill the kids. Don't smile till Christmas and you'll be fine. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> and then the door shut and I was like, huh. But I learned that I actually really loved being in a classroom and exploring music and like the wonders of it with kids. I just maybe wanted kids who wanted to be in the room because <laughs> there was like some kids who were really excited and some kids who were like, they were like anywhere else but here. And uh, I made my application CD for grad school and everywhere that I made it, it got rejected. Everywhere I sent it, it got rejected because I made it at the end of a day of teaching. And for undergrad, everywhere I sent my CD, I got an audition. So I didn't think. And like, I just made it in a basement with like a garage band after a day of teaching. And everywhere I sent the darn CD, I didn't get an audition, but I auditioned live for Santa Fe and I got in, which was like this weird, I couldn't get an audition for grad school, but I got into the young artist program at Santa Fe with a bunch of like the top grad people at these same programs, which was like a, my first intro into like, none of this makes any sense. <laughs> and so like, I was like, I guess I don't suck enough to quit, um, which was kind of where I was after school. And then, so just like all that development. And, um, and then I just fast forwarding, then I got into Bard for grad school because I sang on a friend's recital and that was amazing. Um, and then the next summer I was like, oh, I'm definitely going back to Santa Fe because I got this like baritone award. I had this great summer and I didn't get in. And I was like, what? <laughs> so it was like another failure. And then, but that's the summer that I got into Songfest. And that was a beautiful summer. And then it's like, fast forward again, it was like maybe a year or two later. And I got a call from Rosemary, like, would you do this distinguished alumni recital? And I said, oh, sure. And so I came in and then she said, well, you know, you can you coach some of the younger singers? And I was like, uh, you want me to coach younger singers? She was like, yeah. I was like, okay. And so I was just like in a room for like eight hours a day coaching younger singers. And I was like, I love this. And I guess it, other people didn't hate it. Cause then each year I got invited back and was doing more and more. And then Rosemary trusted me enough to like, ask me to create a whole young artist program and then to direct it. And then I could just like, again, was like, I feel like it's one of my life stories that I'm like thrown into rooms and they're like, do something. And I'm like, <gasps> and uh, so I read like every book I could and all this Wesley Balk stuff and, and kind of developed what was the curriculum that I, I think you went through Laura of like this discovery class and, and kind of building on like these ideas that I, I feel like I always, I came from a music theater world, actually like the Disney world, the movies all the way back, way back when. And I felt like certain things just didn't link up for me in school uh, of like, words have meaning and listening to your own system and body and, and telling stories and keeping your play and sacred fire alive through this like very specific filter that is classical music. And so I was really impassioned in like returning people to themselves, which I think is one of the first layers for me of like regeneration is this idea of like, it's not actually creating something new. It's like 
giving you back yourself. It's like giving the health of the system back to itself, getting you back in touch with something that you've always had and really encouraging self-agency because I feel that's something in our industry. I, I think it's because what we do is so specific and also requires so much training. And also there's no way that you would know like the correct way to make a g in like 19th century Russian. So it's like you have to go to a bunch of different people and ask the experts. And there's always so little time that I feel like it's just very easy to just bulldoze over asking you to show up and be part of the conversation and not just kind of dumping all of our knowledge on someone, which in another book I've been reading recently, actually, as I've been deadheading roses in our rose garden, <laughs> is The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which is an, ama an amazing book. And um, and he's just also talking about this idea of like uh, the bank idea of education, like you're an empty slot and I'm just going to, the good student is the one who just takes as much stuff into their empty slot <laughs> with the least amount of resistance. And the good teacher is the one with the most stuff to shove in your slot. And it's like, we are not dead things. <laughs> so there's this like personal regeneration, which is really important to me. And then also I think the next layer for me is community regeneration, which is that um, I grew up gay Catholic and that was confusing. <laughs> and it's funny to say now because I'm here married in Maine to a, a lovely man who's the love of my life and my family supported. But when I was a teenager, I had no idea. And that was going to happen. And it was pretty scary. I didn't know anyone who was out. And uh, I started the Gay Straight Alliance at my high school, which is amazing because now I, I, my friend who works there was like, said, um, the, the kids were like, who started the Gay Straight Alliance? Because it's so narrow-minded. There's so many different types of people. And like, why are you being so like putting people in boxes of gay and straight? There's a whole continuum. And I'm like, yeah, I just didn't know. I did what Glisten told me to, the gay, lesbian, straight education. I didn't come up with the thing myself, but, <laughs> um, which is beautiful. It was like 2011 when there were a lot of LGBTQ suicides going. I mean, sadly, there are a lot all the time, but there was a big swarth. Is that a word? <laughs> swath of them. We'll say it's a word. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and it, it got a lot of press. And I was home from doing a uh, the tour of the Peter Brooks Magic Flute. And I had several months. And it was like not enough time to really get a job job. <laughs> and, but it was like, I want to do something. And so a friend and I were like, we're going to put on a benefit concert for the Trevor Project, which is the LGBTQ <clears throat> suicide prevention hotline. Well, we thought it was going to be like this small thing with opera singers. And it turns out that like opera singers are busy and also like all over the place and in different countries and maybe just not as used to uh, showing up for activism, I think, as some of the theater community is because there were some wonderful classical singers, but it actually turned out to be a lot of um, broad the Broadway community showed up um, like Betty Buckley came and saying, you are not alone. And we got the St. Paul's Catholic Cathedral to donate the space. And it was like one of the most magical, beautiful moments of my entire life. And the head priest there, Father Gill, who like bless his heart, um, he had his arm around Leah Delaria, the comedian, the like big bull dyke comedian, and said like, the Catholic Church hasn't done enough for our youth, our gay youth, and I'm really sorry for that. And that, I mean, healed my heart and my parents were there and I think it healed theirs. And and again, I think that's a part, one of the myriad colors of the ability of art to regenerate health and a community of a conversation that wasn't being had and was blocked and could be had. And I get, and that's the thing with our company, Hogfish, is that we were just saying, as we get more and more aware of our 
massive privilege in many ways. What can we do to be a part of the solution instead of a part of the problem? Um, like regenerative agriculture, it's like, how can we actually help the soil return to health rather than take as much from it? And then like, oh, well, we have a dust bowl now. <laughs> and um, so we were like, I think we can tell our story and then we can also invite other people here and we can subsidize them to come have a moment, have space, be in a beautiful space and be encouraged to like, what is your story? What's the story that needs to be told? What is the story for your community? How do you relate to your community? What hasn't been said? What do you need to explore? How can we help you return to balance with yourself and the world around you so that everyone can benefit who needs to hear that story? So that's like the community side. And then I think we've just been getting more, I mean, we're not, <laughs> leaders in any of these fields, I think, and just the environment. And I, I feel that uh, theater can be really wasteful and like building sets that are never used again. I think sometimes the 19th century um, proscenium, it was like a way to control and make a beautiful picture. And both my husband and I have been like, as the screen, we feel like kind of has replaced the proscenium, whether it be a TV film or a Zoom and the question, it's like, well, how, how can we create an experience that can't be replaced by a screen for, for free? Because that's doing so that beautifully. And for us, it's been like actually getting into three-dimensionality, like returning to like Moliere with the tent and going into the town and like actually going to the people instead of saying like, come to my little temple inside. And the magic of that has been like finding this magical rose garden on the ocean and by the stone house that we're like renovating and like losing our shirts and our minds painting and leaks. And, but it's like, it's kind of like sword in the stone and like it rains, everything goes out, but we're, we're fixing it up. It's going to be great. But uh, is that just how much we're learning about like putting our hands in the dirt and how things grow and how everything's interrelated and how that relates to making music and art and words and rhythms and just getting people into that space is so powerful. Getting them to see beautiful colors and like feel the wind on their face and how that's regenerative. And like, so it's just, it's, that's a very long answer to this idea that it's multi-layered. And I think some people are focusing on social justice and some people are focusing on like personal wellness and some people are focusing on environment. And we just felt like a, a performing arts company with training had the opportunity to kind of address all three at once because they interrelate. I don't even know what that looks like yet. Again, it's like, it's a process and I'm really excited to see where it goes. And I'm really excited to see who wants to join us and who will teach us and who will be a part of it and what's going to happen. Sign me up. <laughs> Please. Sign me up. I would love to. It is not very often that I am rendered utterly speechless, <laughs> but everything that you're describing, everything that you have gone through over the course of your career up until now, everything that you hope to do, everything that you've just you've just talked about. I feel like my soul has opened up in some way that's making me very emotional right now, and I can't tell you why. No. But it's really beautiful and something that I think is like a fellow Juilliard person. We trauma bond over things <laughs> like <laughs> but like it's so refreshing to hear about how you kind of had this we're talking about process right but you mm -hmm. ultimately did have like kind of a trajectory that you were set on like you came from a generation of healers mm -hmm. and now I think there's something very beautiful and poetic about how your process brought you to becoming a healer in your own way but I didn't I, see that at all when I 
you know, <laughs> I was really mad and, and cried a lot about sucking. <laughs> so We have all cried a lot and been very angry about rejections and bad CDs and not getting into the graduate school that you went to for undergrad. Yep. So, you know, you there are a lot of tears, but yeah. I think tears are also in a way their own healing. They let you process and then you forage yeah. on. And I, and I don't mean that there's been, there were amazing, amazing people and mentors and teachers along the way at every step, and including Juilliard, including Bar and Bard. And when I was in those places, sometimes I really put it all on the plates. Um, but as my first grade teacher said, it, it takes two to tango, Mr. Morris. <laughs> and um, it's a life lesson. <laughs> yeah. I think as I live more and more in the United States in this current era, I think, um, and I learn more and more about history and different cultures and worlds, I think we have this expectation in the current time period and where we are that we should always be comfortable and happy. And I, <laughs> I think historically that wasn't possible. So, and there's a magical release when you're like, oh, I don't have to always be happy and comfortable. And, um, and it's not like a, a right that actually there's a lot of magical things that happen when you're willing to go into the unknown, which is scary. And when you're willing to, and often to go there, you have to be told no, because <laughs> otherwise you just stay in the place that's comfortable and that you know, and that you, you've always done that you're habituated to. I mean, I feel like that's the Joseph Campbell's a hero with a thousand faces. Like it's every story is the same story, just told from different angles or emphasizing different things. And it's like, everyone has the dragon or the, the evil spirit that they have to overcome. It's, there's no like story like, and then they went and got on the quest and they met a wonderful lady who was very nice. And then they got the magic treasure and then they came back. And it's like, that would be a really boring story. <laughs> Said no one ever, right? <laughs> I can't even, I would not buy that book. Mm -mm. I would not watch that Netflix adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the nice lady story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think especially as singers, you know, we've gone we've gone through so many variations on rejection. This is something I've talked to a lot of my colleagues about who who continue to sing but kind of delve into as my friend Sam calls the muggle world where yeah. you get kind of, you know, the the normal person day job, normal person being in giant air quotes. We find that when people tell us no, that doesn't necessarily put us off. It says, okay, well, then I either need to try harder or find a more creative path to get where I need to go. I think that that adaptability is really important because it shows us, like you were saying, that happiness and comfort isn't necessarily a right and that what we ultimately are doing is not for ourselves and our own happiness and comfort, but that we know that we have... If we put ourselves kind of in the lineage of great storytellers, which I've talked about in previous episodes of the podcast, like we have something greater than ourselves to serve. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big things about regeneration, too, is that you start to realize that, I mean, if you if you go with the premise that like everything is interconnected and that systems are healthier when they're in balance, <laughs> that like if you're looking for health in your system, sometimes I think it's actually way more effective to look at all the things that interrelate with you and bring your awareness to them so that the system can actually organically balance itself. Like stop being all in your head and go outside and see, you know, your yard needs work <laughs> or like your mom needs a phone call or 
the poet says this and really wants to get this across. And it's like suddenly a lot of things unlock in our own systems when we get out of the way and allow like a healthy balance to come back. And I think, I mean, that's for me, like in the Alexander work is this idea of like getting ourselves out of habituated awarenesses. And I guess the the thought for me that happened when I was training is that like, because my husband and I have had these conversations back and forth a lot. He's a brilliant, wonderful artist. And he was just saying, you know, he can go into these great states of um, oneness with everything by being in love with this magical dish or that he loves Proust or Proust or um, these flowers. And I was saying, yes. And I think for me where the Alexander work is separate or special is that it deals with the first filter, like you, (laughs) the filter of your experience. We all have like dead zones in our body where we like don't really feel much or we all have like sometimes we're not aware, but some of us never even look in our peripheral vision and like some of us don't smell stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like and uh, it's really interesting, like what we're not um, allowing ourselves to be open to and being aware of, I don't know, the timbral shift here or being aware of what's ha- like the conductor in my periphery or being aware of the color of that rose or my colleague's eyes and suddenly like the vowel shifts and my breath is easy and I didn't even try to manipulate myself or do anything. Yes. <laughs> A thousand times yes on all of that. So I'm so glad that you brought up Alexander Technique because I know that was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about because I think it ties so beautifully into what we've talked about already is like a vast oversimplification is like optimal body awareness and usage. And I think a lot of people, like I've done Alexander Technique. I know people who teach it. It's, I feel like it's a moderately common thing in the musician world, but if you talk to someone else about it, they're like, what is this? Oh yeah. Witchcraft. (laughs) Yes. So can you, for God bless anyone who accidentally stumbles on this podcast, (laughs) (laughs) can you explain kind of in general terms what Alexander Technique is and how it ties into this beautiful blossoming vision of healing regenerative art that sure. you have created for yourself. Because this, yeah. is, this is great. I'm here for this. So <laughs> Thanks. Take it away. Sure. Um, I think it's really helpful to know that the Alexander Technique is named after F.M. Alexander. And he was an actor or an orator that was in, I think, Tasmania, but then he quickly went up to Australia. And uh, he would give long orations of famous speeches of Shakespeare and other things, and he would lose his voice. And um, he went to all the doctors and asked them to check him out. And they said, basically, at the end of the day, there's nothing medically wrong with you. And they kept advocating vocal rest. And so he would rest and he would eventually get his voice back. And then he would go, he would do another performance and he would lose his voice. And he had the insight to say, it must be something I'm doing while I'm performing because I rest and I'm fine. And then I perform and boom. And so he started setting himself. He kind of like had the patience and wherewithal to like lock himself up with a bunch of mirrors for several years really. And be like, what am I doing? And he found the big one that people talk about a lot is that like kind of the startle reflex. If someone goes, boo, it's like, you kind of tend to, you're shortened and uh, a whole host ricochet of stuff goes on. Um, among other things, but then he, but then he was like, okay, I won't do that. And then he realized, wow, I keep doing that, <laughs> even though I think I'm not doing that. And so it, it started this whole thing of like, how do I change 
how do I get out of my own habits? How do I do something in an easier, more efficient way? And slowly he started to train himself to not do some of these habits. And it, he realized that the first step was to not do your habit, <laughs> which the fancy word we use is inhibition. And it's been really interesting. I mean, my brother's a neuroscientist and like in the neurology world, they say like what, why, what fires together wires together. And this idea that like, doesn't matter what you do or if you think it's good, it's just that if you always do this thing, then your neurons wire together and that path gets really strong. So it's like, it kind of like the truck, the image is like the truck in the mud where like the ruts go and you think you're going, you can go in any direction, but really you're just going in the one direction. So the first thing is just to like not do that and let that pass and then start to think another thing, which is interesting because it's like, I think some of the ideas of regeneration are in there because it's this idea of non-doing and this idea of actually, if you don't do the wrong thing, the right thing will do itself. And that the system wants to be in a state of ease and and wholeness, um, which again, is like <laughs> interesting that this is a kind of white colonialist interpretation, I think a very ancient wisdom from many cultures across the world for thousands and thousands of years. And I think parts of the communities that I'm in are just kind of catching up to that and kind of crisscrossing and realizing we have so much to learn from all these other communities. I think uh, also interesting to note, I learned this in training that um, at the Royal Academy, Royal College of Music, um, they, it was right after World War II and Alexander trained a bunch of people in his method and he became known really as the breath and voice guy because uh, that was what he was interested in, but basically could make people do anything in an easier, more efficient way and change and get out of their habits. And, but breath and voice was a big one. And two of the teachers that he trained, um, they offered after World War II, I think they were teaching somebody that was in the Royal College and maybe, and they said, oh, you, this, all the singers should do this. And so they did this experiment and they taught every student, like at every level, because at first they said, oh, just give them the, I forget, either the most advanced or the least advanced. And they said, no, we really need to have a sampling of like everybody so you can see. And there's this amazing quote at the end of the year from the voice jury uh, of hearing all the students who had had, I think it was like once or twice a week Alexander lessons that they had never experienced anything that they felt like across the board made everyone like, sing better their low notes were easier their high notes were easier the sound like they were easier in their bodies their acting was more believable and authentic their breath was more natural it was like all these <clears throat> there's just plus 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 um and so they still have the royal college of music and it's in a lot of the big conservatories or anywhere where it's like you need maximal efficiency of your system in your body in order to do something or if you do anything repetitive like people find it a lot when like I think like most modalities that are not in the Western medicine world, uh, you find them when the Western medicine world can't help you like too many surgeries or th there is no surgery or still in pain after surgery and like PT's over and now what? And <clears throat> there's a lot of great uh, modalities, but I think Alexander is a, a really good one. And um, for me, I always loved my Alexander teachers like Lori Schiff at Juilliard and um, Gwen Ellison at Bard and Judith Grotowitz. Um, and they were, they were always like magical sorcerer sorceresses. And I was like, I just want to be in your energy. Um, but I was like, I won't have time. To, I, I knew I was like, I would love to do that. But it's th like three years and 1600 hours of studying. And I was like, well, I'll never do that. But then I, I also kind of never quite understood how to put it directly into my singing and performing practice. And I think some of that stems from there's people being very careful and kind to one another is that like 
when you're talking about efficiency and ease of a human anatomy while phonating, it's like, how is that different from a voice lesson? <laughs> so I think there's a lot of, um, I'm not going to quite go there because I don't want to, trying to figure out that relationship and honoring really brilliant people on both sides of the aisle. But then I did a, uh, a summer program in Israel where I met Ann Rodiger. There was no voice teacher. And also she'd worked with a lot of voice students as well. And was, and I think one of her magical skills is putting things into kind of direct application of, from the principles. And she did with my singing. And I was like, Oh my God, I've been looking for this. Cause it's like, I've gone to all these teachers and it's like, Again, takes two to tango. It's not the teacher's fault. But it's like, I think I know what they mean with tall vowel. And then it's like, I go to the next teacher. It's like, oh, they, you don't know what they mean. And it's like, what, what, what is a tall vowel? I don't know. And it's like, where is my tongue and my ribs? And I thought I was breathing like that. And it's like, you're just tying myself in knots. And um, it was this amazing process that Alexander can kind of give you yourself back. Like, I can be aware of my own system so that I can then have choice like oh I I want this to move or actually if that can be easy while this moves that would be helpful and like oh all these things my teacher said all the time now I actually understand and feel or can have conscious control over um, which was a really neat thing so I, I love that aspect of the work I felt like for me I did the training because I, I felt like I had a lot of like in the paradigm like when you sing an, an art song and recital it's like there's the words there's the music and there's you and, and your colleague playing with you. And that I, I'd had a lot of music training and I had pursued a lot of acting training in Meisner and music theater and performance and, and school, but I really didn't have much. What's the study of you? What's your, your mind, the way you think your body, your somatic awareness. And so I felt for me, Alexander really fills in a huge part of that um, synergy. And when all of them are talking to each other, it's really magical what can happen. And I think it happens in the greatest performances, but I think sometimes when we get stuck, it's because we're like gunning, <clears throat> oftentimes we're gunning our strength. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm working the music. And, and it's like, if you just paid attention for two seconds to the words or paid attention to like this thing in your body, that's going ow, ow, <laughs> that like, then it would all come back. It would like pop into freedom, like the whole system, but we're scared to go where we're not like, I don't normally think about that. That's my like weak spot or my, I, and I always say to people like, think of it as your fallow zone. It's like, you haven't planted anything in the, there in a while. So it's just going to be really fertile, like one little thought and probably it'll knock, knock you right into balance. That's so cool. <laughs> and so, so relevant too. Cause I think that sort of magical synergy you're talking about is when you have those performances where like you are so viscerally present in everything that's going on. It's like every neuron in your body is firing and like, you're like, everything is just like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like tingly and like you're there and like everything is just more intense and you're like, I feel my breath. I feel my feet. I feel the presence of the person I'm singing to. I feel the pianist I'm working with. And it's like, right. you are like in the character, you're in the words. And it's like, I think it's kind of like that drug, that first drug high that you pursue, like is it happens once and you're like, I need that again. But most of the time I can speak only for myself in this instance, I am always standing in my way of getting that because I'm thinking about what's my technique doing or shoot, what are the words this right. time around on this melody, you <laughs> right. know? And right. so I think having that, like you said, sort of first filter awareness 
is the first thing that goes out the window. <laughs> goes out yeah. the window. Yeah, because it's the startle, it's the panic, it's the the nervous system kicks in, and you go to fight, flight, or freeze, and that's a choice. <laughs> and it's like helped you survive, so that's great. But when you go into fight, flight, or freeze, you're in flow with that, but you're not in flow your brain decides that there are only certain things that you're going to pay attention to because you're scared of living. And I think a flow state is achieved. There's like a bell curve where it's like, there are enough things that you're dealing with that you have enough experience and awareness and technique to, to like stretch to your max. And then you start to realize that it's not any of those things. It's actually the relationship between them all. It's the whole, it's like suddenly we get popped into like Nirvana heaven flow state where it's like, everything's just connected. I don't even know. I'm not thinking hard about the words or my colleague. It's just light. It's all happens. It's just like, it's that feeling like where it all comes to life and you're just like in it. And that's magic. And I think the cool thing because of mirror neurons is that like we can give the audience that experience by going into it for, for them. And it's like, that's when suddenly everything's connected and suddenly like time stops or we all become present with something. And that, and it's like the power of gathering a group of people to be present around one, like one idea, one moment, one flow is, I I mean, it's moved the whole world for, I think millions of years, or at least as long as there's been writings and stories to tell it, talk about it. Absolutely. So as you've invested time in this work, both for yourself and in the the people you work with, are there any, I guess, common threads or common <clears throat> trends that you see when you work with people? For right now, maybe we can talk about singers specifically, but just things that you notice that people tend to ignore most often. That's a good question. People want a magic pill that they like travel to some back cave in the middle of nowhere and like answer riddles and then like crawl through snakes. Like they're willing to do all these crazy, horrible things to get the magic pill where they don't actually have to change or do any work. And that like the magic pill and the crawling through the cave and the riddles and the hermit are part of a process and a work of something that's very simple and readily available. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest things is just giving up the perfectionist and the magic pill (laughs) thinking that like there's something that someone's going to tell me that's going to shift everything rather than just starting to be, be aware with what is right now and, and go from there. I think another one is uh, in order to do that, we have to slow down to go fast with this inhibition idea. It's like, if you go at your normal rate, you're just going to do your habit. If the idea of to go fast is I want to change quickly, I want to do something better quickly, then you have to go very slow in order to stop your habitual things from taking over all the time. And then slowly you can chunk that into small bits and then build faster and faster or bigger and bigger chunks. And then you're quickly into new territory. I think one of the other ones is just um, sensing your weight in the ground is one of the most helpful things anyone can do. That's so funny. That was actually one of the first... It was like one of the Juilliard songbooks, like one of my first like class group recitals that we had... And I was really nervous. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, it's my first performance at Juilliard. And one of my colleagues, one of my classmates came up to me and he was like, Laura, just feel your feet. That has stuck with me for over 10 years. If you're looking for a magic pill, that's step one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because when you think about it, I mean, and not to get too woo-woo, but like how gravity is one of the most important major forces that keeps everything together. And that like, it's constantly moving through our bodies. And then, then there's a ground reactive force, which is also scientific, like to each, 
to every force, there's an equal reactive force that's then supporting you to stand up with a minimal amount of effort if you allow it to come back up through you. But it's only available, it's like this weird gravity ninjutsu where it's, it's only available if you allow gravity to move through you. And I think a lot of us try to hold ourselves up and then we get tired because we're not letting gravity move through us. So then we sink and collapse into the ground and then we get uncomfortable. And it's like, rather than finding this like balance between the two systems, again, it's like, all it's all about balance. <laughs> My mind is just floating through so many things right now. And I wish I had like hours and hours and hours and hours to talk to you about this because this is so important. Like I know that what you're doing to you is probably very meaningful and very fulfilling, but it is very important. And if no one has told you that, I'm telling you that now, but it is very important. Thanks. That means a lot. I think um, like everyone, I get insecure sometimes. <laughs> and that sometimes, you know, I think specifically in our <clears throat> in our industry, because it takes so much money and time to build these skills, there uh is a feeling that like, if you're not validated by the Met or validate, you know, you name it, Carnegie Hall or whatever, that your work is not important. And I think this is where, at least to me, all teachers teach from their own experience. And it's really just like inviting people into your system. <laughs> and it's like, this is what I understand of the world right now. And that for me, it's just like this constant, like, I want I can see and believe in a better world. And am I crazy to think that I can and do and, and not getting megalomaniac about like, you know, all that, but, and then just, and saying like, I, and I think it's important, but at each step releasing the need for it being validated, because otherwise you're going to, you're going to stop. I'm really excited to see this next generation of artists, specifically, I think classical singers, because I think there's starting to be a, because the whole system doesn't work. <laughs> there's just not enough it's like it, there used to be enough work um that like if you'd play by the rules and you did all this stuff that like that there could be a trajectory of work and i just feel like for now for maybe that's true for like one percent but there's so many beautiful amazing people who are just not getting work and so then the question is like well what what do you do and as you said i think a lot of people go in other directions and take the skills they've learned and do amazing things but I think there's going to be a whole crop of different ways of thinking about what we do and art and making music and connecting with the community. And because people are freed from doing it the way that like 300 years of history have said it's done with this organization or that organization. I just feel like I have nothing. I have nothing to say <laughs> because yes, you you've, you've said it all. Like no. truly, and just so many things that I have been thinking about that I know my colleagues have been thinking about. And like you said, it's not so much the the end goal that we're we're aiming for this one specific thing and that we're starting this journey knowing where we're going to end up. But it's so much about the time that we have and what we do with it mm -hmm. and being present in those moments to engage with ourselves and the people around us to make something that is nurturing to everybody. And a lot of our self-worry, self-care can be addressed by giving your awareness and attention to, to the exterior and how they connect like your community and like the plants around you and a rose garden. the floor beneath your feet. I am going to just ask you a couple of quick questions about how people can be connected with you. 
Sure. Um, so as we're wrapping up sort of the more formal part of our of our podcast episode today, yes. um, how can the folks who are listening connect with you or the work that you do? Our nonprofit, the Regenerative Arts Organization, is called Hog Fish, as in like, and then, I don't, I don't know, what is a fish sound? Yeah. Um, but we, we were trying to come up with the name. We're like, is it a song company? Is it storytelling? Is it an opera? Is it music theater? Is it theater? And we were like, I don't know. And then we were at the Baltimore Aquarium, where I'm from, and there's this like magical, weird-looking animal that's called a hogfish that lives its life as both sexes. And I was like, that's it. So it's like, as nature, we like go over boundaries and um, to make beautiful things and tell stories. So that's hogfish and it's hogfish.org. And you can email me at matt, M-A-T-T at hogfish.org. Uh, my personal website, which might be changing soon is matt at mattcahill.online. I lead Juilliard's high school voice program. If you're interested, if you're of that age or know people who are, um, that's in the summers. Um, that's Juilliard in North Anglia's. If you Google that. Um, I also teach for the Balance Arts Center, their Alexander work and, uh, with them, I created a thing called AT Singing, which is Alexander Technique Singing. And we have a bunch of different programs throughout the year. Um, we're going to do a fall one the weekend of November 6th of like two days where it's just kind of giving you the basic primer of Alexander and how it can transform your singing practice um, in two days. So look for that, atsinging.com. And, uh, I, but I'd be happy to hear from you. I do private lessons and also group work and uh with Hogfish, we'll also be having residencies for artists and I will perform some, but I'll probably be like the resident, like, hopefully I, my dream is to be like the resident, like hermit whisperer um, <laughs> that I can Imagine like. Imagine you in like a white robe sitting in a corner. It's like, yes, yeah, come, come to me. Let yeah. me help you. <laughs> but like if you want an Alexander Technique or voice session, great. And if you don't, great. And like, come help me prune the roses. And then like, I'm going to make a sandwich for you. And then we're going to go swimming kind of thing. And then tell me about the art you're making. I love that. I usually wrap up with the piece of advice, but you've given so much to me. And I'm, I'm assuming for the, to the people who will listen to this. <laughs> so I'm just gonna, that's it. Leave we're it there. Gonna, we're gonna tie that up with a ribbon and call it signed, sealed and delivered. I'm yours. I'm just going to leave it at that, y'all. There is nothing to add. Just a reminder, we're moving our podcast to monthly episode releases as opposed to every other week, and the new episodes will be out on the first Monday of the month. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to us so you don't miss an episode. And... Be sure to check out our new Spotify playlists. Who knows? It may give you some recital programming ideas. And as always, you can find out more at CincinnatiSongInitiative.org and follow us on all the socials. Until next time, just keep singing, y'all. This podcast is produced by Cincinnati Song Initiative and hosted on Anchor. This episode was edited and engineered by Andrew Nally.